You are listening to the MJ Sportscast. Recapping the latest games, getting you up to date on the latest sports news, and providing our exciting Bay Area picks. This is the MJ Sportscast with your hosts, Mike Tang and Jerry Yang. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the MJ Sportscast, episode 17. How you doing, Jerry? Good, doing good, man. How's it going? Good, good. Another week down here. Uh, two more weeks till the Super Bowl. What are your uh, top of thoughts this week? Yeah, that's uh, really on my mind, actually. <laughs> it's the NFL playoffs. Um, what a week it was. Huh? It was uh, pretty exciting um, with the Green Bay game and the Bills game and now we have Brady versus Mahomes, and yeah, just really excited, looking forward to the games, and I think it will be a interesting matchup uh, with young, you versus, um, you know, the more elder Tom Brady, but when I think about this game, I actually think it will come down to defenses more, even though the hype right now is really the quarterbacks, and it's pretty easy to hype up the quarterback. Um, but I think the two best defenses of the weekend won out. So it'll be interesting to kind of see um, in the Super Bowl how close it'll be. So how about you, Mike? How, what's on your mind? Yeah, I mean, um, it's going to be a pretty good Super Bowl here. I think KC is favored um, coming in um, here. Mm-hmm. But what's mainly in my mind was um, kind of like the time management that uh, Green Bay had used against um, against Tampa Bay here. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it was around two minutes left here, and they were down eight points. Um, they were driving uh, towards Tampa Bay's 10-yard um, line. And it was – I think they they missed all three downs um, in, during pass plays. So there was like th- three straight incompletions from first to third down, and they faced like a fourth a fourth and goal, I believe, um, mm-hmm. here. And uh, LaFleur decided to go for a field goal to um, to cut the lead uh, to, what, five? I think it was five, yep. five points um, here. And it, it kind of went to show me how analytics has kind of changed the sport in the sense in that I think like probably 10 to 15 years ago, most teams would go for the touchdown and the extra point. But due to mm-hmm. analytics – and most um, analytical statistic out there indicates that going for the field goal is actually a slight edge over trying to go for the touchdown. And then also you would have to make the, you would also have to convert the two point conversion um, as well um, here. So I think that's up to debate and I would love to get your thoughts on that, Jerry, if green Bay should have went for the field goal, or should they try to go for the touchdown and the two-point conversion? Yeah, I think they should absolutely have gone for it, right? Gone for it on fourth down and tried to get a touchdown. I know the analytics gave them, I think, like a 2.5% chance, like a higher chance from 25% um, if they actually kicked that field goal. But imagine if they scored a touchdown. What the analytics say then? It's going to be more than 27%, right? <laughs> so I think the risk-reward is there. And I think that's what I think coach needed really. It's not just looking at the numbers straight up, 
they should actually factor in the risk factors that you're taking in. And then look on the other side of the ball. What does your opponent not want you to do? <laughs> I think if um, you were um, Tampa Bay, you're going to want Green Bay to kick a field goal in that situation, right? So that you can still maintain the lead and then you, you rather control your own destiny out the clock. And the fact that Green Bay decided to go that route, I think um, went into the hands of um, Tampa, right? Went in the hands of the Bucks. So, I mean, there was multiple situations, I think, why they lost that game. Um, Tom Brady didn't have a good second half. I think he turned the ball over three times. But um, Green Bay was only able to convert six points. And you can't win a game that way, right? <laughs> and I just felt the Bucks were just way more aggressive. And no, there was a kind of a um, strange call on pass interference that kind of ended the game. Um, my issue with that pass interference was uh, twofold. One, the players play pretty um, tight there, right? There was a lot of times I think they could have threw the flag and all pass interference, but um, that came at that flag came at the most crucial time for Green Bay, right? And that kind of hurt them. And I think the second thought that I had on that play was the ball didn't seem catchable. After I rewatched it a few times, it was an uncatchable ball. And if it's uncatchable, how is their pass interference? Maybe they thought he disrupted his route, but it didn't look like it, right? <laughs> it looked like it was a shirt grab, which is bad, right? Like, obviously, that's what got the flag. But I don't think, even without that shirt grab, I don't think the receiver was able to catch that ball. So I think the the rest really, um, I think, screwed up that, that call there. And especially at that time, it kind of reminds me of the NBA in some ways where um, refs don't typically call out on... Um, call a foul in the last few seconds. They don't want to determine the game. And I felt like um, the NFL ref here should have followed that model as well. So um, what do you think, Mike? Do you think that was a right pass interference call? This Well, this... well my first um, instinct right now is, is that call reviewable? Are you able to, um, you know, as I guess as a, uh, as a defensive coach, on the defensive side of the ball, are you able to see if that if that play was a pass interference as opposed to the other way around? Here, I'm not sure if they actually reviewed it on no. the spot. I don't think they, they can review it. Yeah, I don't think they did. There was obviously you can't challenge it because it was under two minutes, and I don't yeah. think there was an official review there. Um, and even if they reviewed, it, I'm not sure they would have caught the uncatchable part. They probably would still call pass interference because he grabbed the shirt. So maybe they reviewed yeah. it and they just, you know, did this. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure call, so. if the if if they review the pass interference call, if they can um, factor in if the if the catch was or if the ball was catchable yeah. here. And it was mm-hmm. pretty clear from the replay that the defender did um, either grab or tuck on the wide receiver's jersey. So if they right. did review it, it would have been a pass interference. But, um, yeah, it's just very tough. When you have to um, let the outcome of the game dic- dictate by the refs um, here, it's kind of your fault. And for the mm-hmm. Packers, like you mentioned, they kind of let a lot of opportunities um, pass them by in this game. And all throughout the season, I think we've mentioned this before, the Packers are so accustomed to building large leads. 
um, here right. and kind of coasting um, through games and the season. And then when they have to kind of come from behind and make plays, it's kind of challenging for them um, there. So that's kind of like the downward spiral that happened with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is what one and four, one and five in conference championship games. And that's going to continually linger. But um, I kind of wanted to also talk about just all these rumors uh, that have been coming up here, just because so many teams are looking to either upgrade their quarterback situation or, or just get a new quarterback altogether (laughs) um, here. So it's just very exciting to kind of hear all these, um, all these teams being rumored for quarterbacks, um, mm-hmm. such as Rogers, which we don't know if he's actually available um, here. Yeah. Um, um, and we can Ken- also talk about, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, go me, ahead. Let me call on, on that real quick, right? And kind of ties into your quarterback thing. So the thing I was actually thinking about the Packers game as well was the fact that Kevin King was their cornerback, kind of a rookie cornerback. Yeah. I think he was came off the practice squad he was actually getting really eaten up by Tom Brady, right? They went for a, for a lot of passes against him. They had that amazing sky in their last down before this first half. That was really crazy. And to me, I felt like Green Bay screwed, screwed up their draft pick by taking Jordan Love, right, and with the first-round pick. I think they could have saved that pick for a cornerback or someone in the secondary instead. And I think that kind of ties into your quarterback controversy because now that they've drafted Jordan Love and, you know, Aaron Rodgers had amazing is probably going to be the MVP. But I think they automatically created a, con- a quarterback controversy in a lot of ways, right? Where Jor- Jordan Love's there and, you know, he's not going anywhere, right? And they could have used that pick for a secondary. So I think that contributed a lot to um, a lot of games. That I think Green Bay lost was mainly on the secondary end. You know, and if anything, they probably needed more pass rush as well. So they could have used that pick for that. You know, so, so yeah, I do agree with you. There's a lot of interesting yeah. quarterback and... controversies. And I think this, this got organically created by the franchise. <laughs> and now everyone's looking for a new quarterback. So, so it'll be interesting to see what they do here. But I don't, I don't suspect Aaron Rodgers to go anywhere, right? I think the organization already came out and said that. But it's just the fact that the question, it's not a good look for the franchise. Yeah, yeah, you make some really good points there. And uh, in-game, um, I thought it was a very poor defensive scheme um, to allow Scotty Miller to go one-on-one mm-hmm. during the last, what, 10 seconds of that first half um, there. They could have just done a lot better job protecting the corner and, and going with a zone defense or a prevent defense um, there. And that means not having any ball go behind you. And that's what happened. And I think that ultimately cost them the game yep uh they ended up losing by uh five points and that touchdown was seven points uh to end the half so green bay definitely had a lot of opportunities um it's very unfortunate as a niner fan i totally understand when you're considered the favorite you have home field advantage you're expected to close but it's very tough and that's why they play the games 
Yep. And then I think for the second game with the Bills and with KC, I think it was kind of the same story as well. I think Bills settled for field goals a lot more than they should have. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Maybe the analytics told him to do that. But yeah, Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the ball. And he was a lot healthier than I think most people thought he would be. Right? I thought he looked normal. He didn't scramble as much, um, probably because of the turf toe injury. But his passes he made um, Tyreek Hill look really good in that game and uh, Travis Kelsey as well, right? So it was, I think, really lopsided. Um, I felt really bad for the Bills fans. Bills fans have been waiting for a Super Bowl uh, appearance since 93, but I guess they have to wait a little bit longer. What do you think about that game? And You know, what's really challenging, though, is just because your home team makes it to the conference finals, it doesn't automatically, um, it doesn't automatically bring you back mm-hmm. to that stage again the following season. Right here, it's not like the NBA where you can kind of accumulate and stockpile some talent onto your roster and have some continuity, and also know that you're inferior um, to the competition in which you can most likely make it back. And football is such a different story. You know, we don't know if the Bills will be able to come back. It may take them another twenty years to get back and win a playoff game um, here. So that's just what's heartbreaking about it. And yeah. I think Bills fans um, really know that too. But going to your point here, yeah, uh, selling for field goals against a high-power octane team such as the Chiefs, it's it's playing to their own hands um, here. And you can, just, you can just tell from the flow of the game that the Bills, they just couldn't really get the ball moving upfield and they couldn't score touchdowns here. And once you once they started kicking field goals and settling for threes, it was you just kind of knew the game was the game was just was always in Casey's hands um, here. And hopefully it's a learning experience. And hopefully the Bills can come back and and maybe make a deep run next season. Yeah, I mean the whole game. Um, Josh Allen was you know offensive line really couldn't stand against the defensive line of the Chiefs. So that'll be an interesting matchup next week. Or not next week. Next next week with the Super Bowl to see how the Bucks offensive line does. And I think a key um injury that happened to KC was they lost their left tackle um yeah. to Achilles injury. So that's another thing to look out for on the other side of the ball. And if Patrick Mahomes has to scramble a little bit more, we'll see if he can. Right, and I absolutely uh, agree with you on your point where you the next year is not guaranteed. I mean, look at the Niners, right? We're in the Super Bowl to being out of the playoffs, so so it's a it's a really tough sport. And I think that's what makes it really special when someone wins it, right, and wins it back to back. So if the Chiefs able to accomplish that, then that's something we should really respect and really honor, right? Because it's really hard to get there, so. It still doesn't remove the pain of um, <laughs> of losing um, in the Super Bowl here and watching Tyreek Hill running downfield still it gives me like a sharp pain you, huh? deep inside. <laughs> but, you know, kind of looking from long-term perspective and just kind of um, watching and appreciating greatness in teams, uh, yeah, I think Casey has something really going for them right now. Yeah. Um, let's kind of talk about uh, some stuff locally. Um, here, Jerry, uh, 49ers news. Um, they signed uh, Jeff Wilson to a one-year contract. 
they already had uh, Raheem Mostert under contract um, there. So it looks like it's going to be a three-back um, three committee because Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon um, are free agents and most likely will not come back with the Niners. What do you think of the Jeff Wilson Jr. signing here? Jared? I love it, man. I think he, he earned that spot. He was definitely our best running back all season, right? With most of being hurt for most of the season. Um, I think Jeff Wilson picked up his, what most are, um, you know, the drop off of most to Jeff Wilson was almost nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Wilson was out there. He was a, a playmaker. He made a big difference. And yeah, I'm glad he's staying. I think out of <clears throat> the three between Cole and McKinnon, I think Wilson's the best back there. So I think they made a really good decision there. Wow. And yeah. I'm a little bit disappointed in Jared McKinnon, um, mainly throughout his whole career with the Niners. I mean, from missing a full season, um, not playing a snap for the longest time, played everything this season really conservative like he wasn't the explosive player that we expect him to be like he was in minnesota um and then once the season was over he was on a podcast talking about how he was happy to be leaving the niners <laughs> it's kind of like okay like you never really contributed so i think the feeling is mutual here <laughs> i just thought it was a really disrespectful yeah. way to leave right especially with how many chances the team gave him um so yeah, so I I, I, was, I was a little disappointed with that um, with McKinnon's attitude towards it. Um, I think Tevin Coleman took it a little bit better. Um, I kind of will miss Tevin Coleman in some ways because I think he's a really good back as well. Um, but if you're deciding between Coleman and Jeff Wilson, Jeff Wilson really proved it out there this season, and um, and the writing was on the wall, right? I think Coleman was playing special teams. Um, near the end of the season while they started Jeff Wilson over him. So it wasn't a big surprise. And I think highly of Jeff Wilson. And next season with Jeff Wilson and Moster both healthy there and Hasty as well. Hasty did show a few flashes of being pretty good, right? So as a number three, I think he'll um pretty sufficient there. Right? I think he'll just grow and learn a little bit more. He had one, I think, breakout game um, before he got hurt as well. So it's, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I think our running back situation, I wouldn't be surprised if they they add one more person potentially, right? But um, but for now, if this is the three we're going with, I think it's good. Yeah, it's definitely um, a position that, as Niner fans, we're not really too concerned about uh, for the next season mm-hmm. um, here. And, uh, yeah, I think McKinnon, he just never got off to the right footing with the Niners he signed that what was the contract I think it was like four years 30 million 30 million yeah four years 30 million um, dollars and right off the bat he got hurt in a non-contact drill um, I believe tearing his ACL Mm. uh, before this first season Uh, he missed I think the first two seasons um, here so he never really was able to contribute the way he can Um, but it's very unfortunate the way things have um have came out between the Niners and McKinnon and hopefully McKinnon can go off to another team and, and find his footing again. Yep. Um, let's talk about uh, the Lions parting ways with Matt Stafford um, here. And, you know, we talked about rumors about Deshaun Watson in previous episodes um, here, but now that Stafford wants out and the Lions are willing to reciprocate on his request um, here, what are your thoughts about 
Matt Stafford potentially replacing Jimmy Garoppolo in the near future. Yeah, I think uh, I like it, right? I think we've talked about it in previous podcasts. I think he's probably one of the guys I, I really look to. I think he'll have at least two or three seasons left in him, so I don't think he'll be like the long, long-term solution. Um, so I expect the Niners to try to draft a quarterback or get a younger quarterback to kind of back up Stafford. Um, but but yeah, I do like him. I think he's really gritty. He does have a little bit of an injury history, um, but he hasn't missed games with it. So that kind of shows me that his injuries weren't that serious, it seems like. And he's willing to, to go out there and still make plays, right? I think he had a 4,000-yard season. Um, so he'll definitely be an upgrade at the position. And I'm just wondering what the Niners will have to give up. I know there was an article out there where they said Jimmy G plus the second round gets it done for Matt Stafford. I don't think that will get it done. Right? I'm thinking it's going to be Jimmy G plus the first round probably. And that's one thing that I'm not sure if we should do. Right? Um, giving up that first round pick is going to be huge, um, especially with how many players we need um right and uh, how many players are leaving us in the salary trap situation i think draft picks for the niners is going to be really valuable but if somehow you know they can make it work out and be able to trade jimmy g um for stafford or maybe other picks in the future or something like that or another player um i'm all for it right i think stafford would be a huge improvement for our team and I was looking at the Vegas odds, which, you know, always kind of interesting to hear. <laughs> um, Stafford's actually favored to be um, um, to be on the Colts at plus 300. Mm-hmm. But closely behind, mm-hmm. the Niners are at plus 350, right? So, which tells me it's kind of a toss-up between the Niners and the Colts. And I know is at plus 400 right after them. Um, which you know kind of makes sense. I think they're trying to look for a change as well. But but yeah. So if it's between us and the Colts, um, I think really it's going to come down to where Stafford wants to go, right? And what package I think the two teams can put together to make the trade. So um, what do you think, Mike? Do you like them? I know Beast Rider didn't want this trade to happen, right? <laughs> I think Beast Rider released the video. You know, shout out to Beast Rider. Um, where he thinks Matt Stafford, we probably shouldn't go after him. But I don't really agree with him on that. I think we should go from somehow. Just has to be the right deal. Yeah, people have mentioned Stafford's age at 33 years old um, here. But I feel that a quarterback in the modern era, um, their longevity is probably until 40. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about prime years um, here. As long as he doesn't have a major injury along the way. So I think Stafford... You know, having him on this team for maybe two or three seasons here, it can be worth that first round pick. But um, yeah, I was uh, kind of um, reviewing some numbers and just referencing Lombardi, who's like Mm -hmm. a 49er um, writer from The Athletic. He kind of mentioned some of the new team cap hits if Stafford is traded to a new team. So if he is traded, um, the the cap hit would be 20 million. Mm -hmm for 2021 and also 23 million for 2022. If Jimmy Garoppolo stays, the cap hit for 2021 will be 26.9 million, which is $6.9 million more than Mm. Stafford. And then if he stays the following year, Jimmy Garoppolo will be 27 million. So that's going to be a $4 million uh, difference um, here. So if we do acquire Stafford, we actually do save 
quite a lot of money in which we can convert um, those dollars into maybe some offensive line help for Matt Stafford. Um, so that's something to think about here. And uh, Lombardi also mentioned uh, Deshaun Watson's cap hits only 10.5 million for next year, which is a it's pretty big steal in my yeah, opinion. No, no wonder but it goes so up drastically interest. the following year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it goes up the following year in 2022 up to 35 uh, million dollars. So I do really like uh, Stafford um, coming to the Niners just because I think he's a better player than Jimmy Garoppolo, and we also do save some um, some money in the salary cap in which we can go out and get some offensive line um, help. Yeah, and I think Stafford just has a better arm, a lot more accuracy, knows the game, has more experience than Jimmy G. I know an age difference probably plays a difference, but Jimmy was a bad yeah. and hasn't played as many games, but Stafford's playing. So he definitely has... Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it would be a good move um, here. I think during the season, we were kind of mm-hmm. hesitant to think about replacing Garoppolo uh, with Stafford just because we think of Stafford in a, always in a losing situation. He, he, I don't think he's won a playoff game um, here, but when you kind of look at the body of work um, here compared to Garoppolo, I think Stafford would be an upgrade. Yeah, I think he's going to be a, a really good player. And I, I, I'm happy to be honest with you. I think team, quarterbacks that stay with the Lions haven't really succeeded, or any player really. So um get out. And he's a number one pick overall, right? So so definitely you know worth yeah. his status. And he's um, been in the league since 20, 2009. Right, so he definitely has a lot of experience that he brings with them, and I think the leadership is there um, as well. So, so we'll see how it goes. And um, yeah, and in terms of Deshaun Watson, yeah, I, <laughs> I know it's going to be a steal to get him. And I know the year after is going to be a big hit, but if you think about the salaries of quarterbacks and how it's going up, maybe thirty-five million is a steal for him, right? <laughs> So, um, but I know from hearing on a few articles, it seems like his preference is the Jets in Miami. So, it, so it, we're probably out of running for him. But you know, I think Stafford is a good, yeah. good replacement for that. So, and we kind of have to wonder why the Niners are not even um, like top three in his list um, here. Is it? You know, I'm not. And I'm not. Uh, no, I don't know if it's, this is true or not. But do you think maybe? He doesn't like the 49ers um, coaching staff because he felt he got snubbed in the draft um, Mm. here when the Niners, I believe, picked Solomon Thomas over all these quarterbacks here. So we we don't really know why. Maybe he doesn't like the West Coast. Uh, Maybe he wants to go to Miami. Maybe he wants to go to to New York. We just don't know. But it just feels really strange that uh, Watson wouldn't even consider the Niners whom – I think has the best supporting cast out of all available. Yeah, teams. I think he wanted to play for Robert Sala. The rumors leaked out that the Texans conversation with Watson. Watson wanted the Texans to interview Sala, and the Texans were the only team that didn't interview. I think he really wanted to play under Sala, um, and then I think for Miami, uh, I think that's his hometown, right? Or at least I think his college or something like that. I think. People are saying there's some type of connection with him and Miami. Um, 
So I think that's mm-hmm. why that was his second choice of his. And keep in mind, he didn't give his top three or top ten choices. He only gave those two teams, right? Yeah. So who knows if the Niners were next or whatever it is. And I think to him, I think he's also looking at culture and looking at the destination. Um, so maybe, like you said, he might be an East Coast guy. And I think he feels like he can grow and build a team with him um, since Sal is a new coach and everything. So so who knows, right? Like you said, there's a lot probably on his mind about it. Um, but I think if Stafford is willing to come here, I think that's a suitable replacement, right? <laughs> if, we, if we're going to replace a quarterback like Jimmy G, I think it has to be someone like um, Matt Stafford or Deshaun Watson. I feel like all the other free agents out there, like you talk about Carson Wentz and um, even Matt Ryan, I feel like it's kind of a downgrade mainly because they have to learn the offense and there's a lot of tweaking that needs to happen. Maybe Matt Ryan doesn't have to learn it, but he's also pretty old and I don't think he's had any good years without Julio Jones there, right? I think every game without Julio Jones, um, Matt Ryan didn't look good. So it kind of shows that maybe it's not him that's that great, right? So I think the top two, if it's not Matt's, um, Hugh Stafford, Deshaun Watson, I would just stick with Jimmy G. So, Yeah, very good points there, Jerry. I wanted to um, talk about baseball and um, the Hall of Fame. So they announced that uh, no one got into the Hall of Fame or none of the candidates on the ballot who were elected into the Hall of Fame this year. Just kind of looking at the numbers, Bonds and Clemmings, about 61% um, here. Schilling, um, slight climb to 71.1%, but the threshold is 75%, I believe, to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, Omar Vizquel. Uh, he rose to 52% last year, down to 49.1%. And Jeff Kent, um, he was 27.5% last year, up to 32.4%. However, he only has two more years, two yeah. more chances into of eligibility here. What are your thoughts about um, kind of like the Hall of Fame and electing just no one Jeez, out of that I think- list? Talk <laughs> about... I mean, at seventy-one percent, you couldn't get Shilling in there. That's crazy. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, is this the last year for Bonds as well, or does he have one more year um, of eligibility? I, he has uh, Bonds and Clemens has one more year of eligibility here. They're going to need um, fifty oh, more votes <laughs> next season. Yeah, and on top of that, on top of that, Al- this is Alex Rodriguez's oh first time on the ballot too. So this is probably yeah, his so. best chance. I mean, <laughs> I hope Bonds like gets a broadcasting career or something, right, to get people back into into the spotlight. Because it, to me, it feels like a popularity contest in a lot of ways, right? I know it's like really prestigious to get in, and they're trying to make this like a really hard thing to get. Well, mission accomplished. It's really hard to get, and now you don't have a hall of fame <laughs> classes here so is that great no kind of part right and what's chilling and bonds yeah. and you know clements are off that list and i think some people are going to regret they're not in <laughs> to me absolutely i think all three of them should be in the hall of fame i think maybe jeff Kent people can make an argument why he can't be in there as much as i want him in there right i, I would love to see jeff Kent in there mm-hmm. I understand it, right? I can kind of understand why they want to put him in there. Um, 
So, but I just don't understand Bonds, right? <laughs> like, are you seriously not going to let Bonds in the Hall of Fame? I know there's this whole steroids, you know, stigma around them, but what other players have steroids that we don't know about, right? Um, and I think it was a Hall of Fame yeah. steroids. I think that's the part that I feel like it's a tragedy, right? He had the skill sets. He was playing really good without it pro- before, you know, he was probably on it. Um, and even if you take steroids, you still have to have a good eye to hit the ball, right? <laughs> and have command and all that stuff. So he, you know, I don't know. I just kind of disappointed. And in some ways, I just, you know, with the Hall of Fame, like, I, I can't help but laugh, right? <laughs> that, that they're just trying to make this, uh, this, I guess, title more important than it should in a lot of ways, in my opinion, right? Um, but yeah, anyways, Mike, I, I know you've been following this a lot closer than me. Like, are you as disappointed as me? Um, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed. I'm just, I kind of just um, understand where a lot of these voters are coming from because it's been so many years and we've already seen kind of the lack of traction that Bonds and Clemens has gone in the Hall of Fame voting um, here. And it doesn't help that Bonds and also Jeff Kent were not very mm-hmm. kind to the media. And I'm sure that also slightly impacts um, their eligibility um, here. But um, I wanted to talk about a couple of players with the most um, progression mm-hmm. in the voting process um, this past season. That's um, Todd Helton. He went from 29% to 44% here. And then Scott Rowland made a really, really big jump. He went from 35% to 52%. Just from the eye test, Jerry, and just um, just watching them play um, in the National League against the Giants, did you feel like Scott Rowland and Helton um, were Hall of Fame type players, or do you think it's more? Do you think Helton Helton stats were more contributed to Coors Field, and did you even like? Did you even feel Roland was a Hall of Fame? Yeah, player? I think Helton's also on longevity, right? I think he's been in the league for a pretty long time, and. Maybe that's why, and he's really friendly with the media, right? I think he's a leader of the, mm-hmm. of the locker room and all that stuff. Um, so I can kind of see um, <clears throat> a case for Todd Helton. And I think, he, yeah, his stats are padded a little bit by the bark, but I don't think the Hall of Fame votes are for necessarily his on-the-field performance, right? I think it's all the other stuff that he does off the field and, and the leadership that he brought to the te- team. Um, so I can kind of see the case for him, but Scott Rowland, come on. <laughs> to me, I don't know. I just like I'm a little bit surprised by the jump. Um, I can't really explain it because I don't know the situation that well with Scott Rowland, but I don't know if he's a player that people feared yeah. when he was like at bat, right? <laughs> or like I don't know. Yeah, over, yeah. Overhyped. I think, like I said, I feel like it's a popular popular contest. Um, with the media, um, the media voted the Hall of Fame. Um, do they factor in players and all, all that other stuff? I don't remember. Yeah, it is. Um, it's yeah, it's all so... media here, so it's a lot of sports writers um, out here who have been covering the game for like maybe the past twenty years or so. That's that shows why you know in some ways why I kind of laugh at this award because if you're not friendly with the media, no matter what your stats are, like obviously Bonds' stats are amazing, right? And that's not getting it done. And um, if you put the media's hands in all this, then yeah, that's just what you're 
people who are friendly with the media getting in a lot sooner than guys who probably proved themselves, but maybe not as friendly to the media. So, you know, um, yeah, if those guys get in, good for them, right? Like, uh, I guess my feelings on the Hall of Fame is I feel like anyone who can actually get voted in deserves to be in. Um, and, you know, yeah. I just felt like they, they should loosen up the standards a little bit. 75% is... It's a really uphill battle, right? And when a guy like A Rod comes in there, then you're you're screwed, right? Because we know everyone's gonna vote for A Rod, <laughs> you know. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's an uphill battle, especially if you're hovering around like twenty five to thirty yep. percent for like five years. It's it's really tough to make a big jump, you know, from thirty percent to seventy five percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, unless you get a ton of, uh, unless you get a ton of momentum going into it, um, but I would like to talk about the one player who most likely uh, will make the Hall of Fame um, here, and that's going to be Kurt Schilling. Um, he had he had seventy one point one percent votes, and kind of looking back at previous histories of um, seasons where players didn't get elected. And the last time was Craig Biggio in 2013, and he got elected the following year. Uh, before that was Phil Necro. He was a, a longtime pitcher. Uh, this was in 96, and he got elected. And then Yogi Berra back in 71 um, here. And all those players had a 67 to 69 um, percentile of votes um, before they got elected. So it looks like Schilling is going to probably – um, pick up enough votes to hit that 75% mark. I'm just not sure if anyone else will build that kind of momentum. Look at Schilling's like, history, right? He's been an all-star six times. He's won three World Series and was a World Series MVP. So, you know, <laughs> he definitely deserves to be in, I feel like, you know, having those, that that uh, prestige already on him, right? And is at the museum, they actually put up like a plaque for all the awards that people get. So if they're World Series MVP or they break record, they have plaques for those people. So either way, um, I think Bonds and Schilling will get in from from those stats and records perspective, right? Um, but once you get into Players yeah. Hall, if you don't have Schilling in there, then you know I feel like it's a tragedy. So um, so I think it deserves to get in. Um, yeah, so we'll see next year, I guess. Yeah, and other uh, news here uh, locally, the San Francisco Giants, um, they're close to signing um, La Stella. Um, he used to play for the Oakland A's and also the uh, Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, however they, <laughs> however they call uh, that franchise now. Um, you know, he's a second baseman um, here and, uh, you know, had some clutch hits, uh, notably against the Giants one one game last season. Did you have any any thoughts at all about the signing or do you think it's just um, a hitter that will just fill that spot and and uh, hopefully he brings some production to the lineup? So I'm looking at a news source. They actually just agreed to a three-year deal with Tommy Lasella. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so based on what I'm reading, he seems like a really good player at second base. 
entertain him. Yeah. Um, I don't know him that well, to be honest with you, right? I haven't followed like A's baseball this whole season. Maybe we should. But, um, but yeah, based on all the stats I'm reading and all the highlights, I actually watched a bunch of highlights after, um, after I saw this news. Um, and he looks like he's going to be good. Right, he's gonna be um, upgrade over. Was it Du Dubon? That's our second baseman now. I think that's who. Who is our second baseman? Right. I think Dubon was playing a lot of. I think Dubon was playing a lot of uh, center field. Um, here. Yeah, who was our? Yeah, kind of. I kind of remember, right? As we, um, Evan Lagoria was in third, right? So it wasn't him. Um, either case, like. Mm-hmm. Struggling to think of who's our second baseman <laughs> kind of shows that we probably need an upgrade in that position. In that position, I think we got an upgrade already, right? So, so yeah. Um, oh yeah, I think Wilmore Flores was actually. So I think yeah, definitely an upgrade for Flores. So that's yeah. good, right? Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts, Mike, because I know you've been following Estella a lot more than me. Um, did you like the deal? I actually really love the deal here, and uh, here's why. Uh, La Stella, he has such great flexibility. So then he can um, he can play second base. He can pinch hit. And uh, we also have to keep in mind that Brandon Belt is coming off uh. um, heel surgery here. So La Stella can also play some first, baseman, first base to offset um, when Belt is you know out of the lineup. And um, Farhan, he really... Loves that walk to mm. strikeout ratio um, here, and he's his strikeout rate is only five point three percent. Amazing, um, as opposed to the uh, as as opposed to the rest of Major League Baseball, their average is twenty three percent. Wow, here. that's good. <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's he's just a, he's just a really good hitter in which um, I think it's going to impact um, the lineup. And a lot of people are trying to compare him mm. to Joe Panic um, here, and I understand what the comparisons are. You know, um, Panic was, you know, he hit what like around three hundred, maybe two ninety or so. But you have to understand that towards the end of Panic's um, tenure with the Giants, most of his contact was mainly groundouts, mm. and they were not good groundouts. They were groundouts to to infielders for outs here. But most of La Stella's contacts, contact hits are extra base hits, home runs, and a higher exit velocity. So I think it's a really good move um, here. And it kind of just shows what Farhan um, really favors. And um, he just hates those low on-base percentage guys and below average defenders. And I'm looking at Joey Bart when I'm, <laughs> when I'm talking about this. And I wouldn't be surprised if Joey Bart will be moved because what we saw, the high strikeouts, the low walks, mm-hmm. not getting on base, not a great defender, not hitting home runs. We drafted a catcher pretty, you know, last year or two years ago here, and we have Posey. So right I don't know. Wall, We're huh? going to have to see if Joey <laughs> Bart is going to be with this team. Yeah, it's, it's just what Farhan likes. And Farhan didn't even draft Joey Bart. It was the prior administration with Bobby Evans and Brian Sabian. So that that could be a conversation definitely for another day um, here. But, uh, you know, some of the key Farhan signings, Kevin Gossman, 
you mentioned Wilmer Flores, which has been very solid, Donovan Solano, and now La Stella. You know, I think we're slowly trying to build um, a good team and a yeah. good philosophy. All things to look at um, on base percentage. I think that was one of the money ball factors, right? Yeah, yeah. On base percentage here and mm-hmm. not striking out um, too much. Yeah, that's that's definitely um, high on the list. And uh, Farhan is a Billy uh, Bean disciple. Here, he actually he was he was actually um, an executive for the A's before moving on to the Dodgers. So I think Farhan knows what he's doing. Um, you know, I've been kind of critical of him um, in prior episodes in terms of not making any moves, where's the talent in the farm system. But I can also see um, some of what he strives for in terms of what he looks for in a player here. And I think La Stella signing is Yeah, I mean, he sounds valley. like a guy with a plan. Right, he knows exactly what he wants and how he wants to build a team. Yeah, and he's coming from the Billy Bean system. He has data to back it up. So, to me, I, I think we just have to give him some time. Like yeah. I said previously, so I think we'll we'll eventually get there. I have some faith, more faith in him than our previous, like Brian Sabian and all those guys. Right, um, I felt like Sabian got lucky with a few free agents, and he built a pretty good team as well. But it obviously wasn't sustainable or you know, helped us with the long term. So I think Farhan's trying to set us up for a dynasty, right? Not just a championship, but I think signing up a dynasty and that's gonna take some time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to uh basketball news. So the Warriors I think they're eight and eight right now. Um mm-hmm. here. Fortunately to be eight and eight because they're the opposing team has outscored them by a big margin during the season. Um, during their last game on Monday night, Weissman was on the bench in favor of Kavon Looney, and they were facing the T-Wolves. So um, what are your thoughts about Weissman being benched? I, th- I think it was an instant upgrade at defense, actually, right? Because I think Looney is a way better defender than Wiseman. And I think it sparked something in Wiseman because once Wiseman was on the court, he looked great, right? He looked like a player that was hungrier and he was trying to get after it a little bit more. Still a little bit sloppy, right? I think that's probably why he's being benched. Um, He always gets in foul trouble and all that stuff, but... But yeah, I think it was a good move. And I think Steve Kerr just knows what he's doing. Right? I think he, he knows how to push the buttons and make the moves to to get players to play a little bit harder. And I think having Looney start over Wiseman, I think it's making Wiseman play a little bit harder. Also, what was working? Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of fans are, they want Oubre yeah. to be benched. You know, and... Uh, a lot of fans are wondering how come Ubre is not being benched um, here. And I think I have a couple theories behind that. And uh, I think the Warriors, they kind of want to keep Ubre in the starting lineup just to mm-hmm. kind of keep his trade value up a little bit in case a team like the Pelicans want to come in for a trade um, here. So that's something worth watching. But I just don't know if the Warriors have enough to really trade Ubre 
to yeah. the to to the Pelicans for players such as JJ yeah, Redick and also Lonzo Ball. Um, it's working well actually running the second unit. I think that was another move that was made. I think uh, Wiggins was kind of running the second unit um, before, and I think they put Ubre as that you know starting starting line guy that sticks with the second unit. Um, well so far i think you're right i think they're trying to keep his value high and also if you think about it who would they put in place of Ubre? right i think with clay thompson back then maybe you'll be okay right um but i don't, I don't know if you have yeah. a player that's better than Ubre in the starting lineup um i guess you can make a case um yeah i don't know who you would actually make a case for right <laughs> at least not on the top of my head um yeah, you can make a case. Lee, you can yeah. make a case for Damian Lee just because he's able to stretch the floor and shoot the ball a whole lot better um, than Obre. But in terms of um, Obre's uh, defensive knack for the ball mm-hmm. here and his athleticism, Damian Lee doesn't really match his energy level on that end. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why they want to keep Obre in there. But I can kind of see where they're coming from. They kind of want to ease up Wiseman a little bit. Um, you know, have them learn from Looney um, there. And at the same time, it's not like Wiseman right. is getting DNPs. You know, he's going to be playing a lot with with uh, the starting unit even, or parts of the starting unit. So he's going to see a lot of playing time with Curry and Draymond when that six-minute and 30-second mm-hmm. mark um, comes out in the first and third quarter um, there. So I think it's good because you kind of want to ease the pressure um, from Wiseman a little bit here and he's even admitted to getting kind of um manhandled at some points by stronger mm-hmm. nba yeah i know, think that's why he gets centers. in foul trouble because he's like trying to overcompensate a little bit and play a little bit more aggressive but but it's kind of burning him in a lot of ways and he's not finishing games still right i think he's still sitting during the last few minutes of the game i think once we see him um, start finishing games, I think that's when we can see he become a better player, right? And he come, becomes more more of a trusted guy. Um, I guess I'm curious to find out from you, Mike. Like, do you think there's any truth to that Ubre uh, Kelly Ubre trade to the Pelicans? You did mention we would have to give up a little bit more to get him, but get anyone else, like especially if we want to get Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick, right? Um, but would you even want to entertain that trade? Do you think that those two guys make the team better? And who are you willing to give up with um, Ubre to get them? That's going to be a tough one because I think it's if we're going to acquire Redick and Ball, it's probably going to take mm. a first-round mm-hmm. pick to go along with Ubre to get them here. And you have to also keep in mind Lonzo Ball is going to be a free agent after this season, he was not extended a contract um, here. And from the reports that I'm hearing, Stan Van Gundy doesn't really like Lonzo Ball's scheme this season. Um, for whatever reason that may be, I think Ball is probably not shooting very well. His offensive game has slipped a little bit. Whatever the reason may be, Van Gundy doesn't like him. Um, but they, those two players, Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick, would definitely yeah. upgrade our offense this season. Um, here, but in, 
But what I'm concerned about is that it's going to probably yeah, take Yeah, we only have one left, right? Pick. We have one from Minnesota left because I think we traded our number one this year for Uber. <laughs> so I think we'll be losing two number one picks over right. Uber, actually, right? If you think about it. So maybe not the best thing to do, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I think we kind of lose a little bit on the defensive end, I would think. With maybe not with Ball, but with Reddick for sure, right? Yeah. I don't know if Reddick's a good defender, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I think he could hold his own a little bit um, here, but I think it's just all speculations. Just because they have chatted doesn't mean that anything is going to happen. So, um, more likely than not, yep. nothing's going to happen just yep. yet. Okay. Let's talk about um, some sports picks here. Let's talk about Warriors uh, versus Timberwolves um, here tonight. So the, they're facing mm-hmm. the Timberwolves again here on kind of like a semi-back-to-back game. Uh, looks like the Warriors are favored by eight points over and under is 229.5. Yeah, what this one's like kind of a tough here, one, Jerry? right? Because the uh, Warriors did roll over the T-Wolves, and I think that's mainly because they didn't play. Right? I think Kat and Russell didn't play. Um, I'm not sure if they're playing tonight, I- I think yeah. they're kind of be, but um, seems unlikely. So if that's the case, then um, yeah, I do like uh, Warriors minus eight if Cat's not playing, right? <laughs> I think we can still roll over them. Um, and with D'Lo also out, um, that's kind of half their team. And I think the Niners, or sorry, the Warriors have their number, right? So it's, uh, so yeah, rolling with Warriors minus eight. And over under, um, it's pretty high over under with two twenty nine point five. Um, but I think both teams have more of an offensive strength in a lot of ways. Um, that's probably why it's high. But with the under, just mainly because I still think the Warriors shooting is a little bit off, and then I think on the T Wolf size as well. I don't think they have um, too many weapons that can really get the score higher. Um, get close to 229 but mm-hmm. but i'll take my chances on the under there what about you mike yeah i think i'm actually going to pick the over um there it's going to be a pretty high scoring game um and i'm going to pick the the warriors they're most likely going to win by double digits I, I foresee maybe like a 12 to 15 point um lead um ending the game um, there and I don't even think um, I don't even think uh, D'Lo will be playing or Cat. So factor all those in here, and uh, the Warriors are just a superior team. The Timberwolves might be one of the worst teams in the league here, especially without D'Angelo Russell and Cat in the lineup. And yeah, so we get their pick, the so I think um, we should be rooting against T Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, I think that ends our. Uh, our session for today, Jerry. All right. So uh, that this is episode 17 um, here uh, for Jerry Yank. This is Mike Tang. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to the MJ Sportscast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the MJ Sportscast at Mike 408 at Mind of Jerry 11. Tune in next week for another exciting episode.